thank you all so much for being here. We'll uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll do our thing. I've got some questions here for us to for us to go over. If uh, this is your first time here, frequently asked questions with with Kevin is uh, a time for us to kind of get to know each other a little bit. And what I'm going to do is um, op open up in prayer and then open up a time for any any questions, thoughts, or anything from Sunday's message where might need some, um, have some questions or need some clarification or anything like that. So we can kind of unpack the sermon a little more if there's uh, some of the ideas that uh, you want me to unpack a, a, a little more. As I've said before, I, uh, I leave I leave a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor um, in order to, uh, to to try to make time um, and everything. And, I, and I'm always happy to uh, to kind of say more about some things if if you need to. And then um, I have a series of questions that the uh, pastor search team asked me during our interview processes. And I think those are important questions so that you know what they asked me and um, how <clears throat> they'll allow us to get to know each other. And you can find out kind of where, where I am on um, on different aspects and issues and, and, and things like that. Um, obviously, since since I'm here, uh, there was there was agreement between myself and the search committee. But there's still, I think, a lot to be said for uh, for me being able to share that directly with you, so you know what they asked me and how I answered it. So it's all good. So with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll uh, we'll jump right into Sunday's sermon. And uh, I'm I'm anxious to hear from you to see if there's anything more we can go over with that. So Lord God, we thank you for. Um, we thank you for pushing us out of our comfort zones. And that's a weird thing to be thankful for. Um, usually it's maybe on the other side of the difficulty and the other side of the stress and strain of how we've become stronger as a result of getting pushed out of the comfort zone that we're thankful. Um, I don't know how thankful we are at the beginning of it, but um, anticipating and trusting that whatever it is that you're calling us to that is uncomfortable or inconvenient, um, trusting in the fact that we know that on the other side of that, we will find you bigger and we uh, will grow in our relationship with you deeper. We thank you in advance. Uh, Lord, in the meantime, while we're learning, while we're, uh, while we're being stretched, while we're being challenged, walk with us, go with us, Continue to encourage us and show us how we can be an encouragement to each other. We all have stuff we're dealing with, Lord, um, baggage that we've carried for a long, long time, and uh, things that uh, maybe even, even recently have, uh, have been added to those things that occupy our minds and our hearts. And I pray that uh, you would guide us, you would give us wisdom, give us strength, uh, and that we would know... Uh, we would know what it is that we should do and you would show us where and how to place those things uh, at your feet. Thank you for this time and for these, these wonderful, wonderful folks. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this past Sunday, we uh, took a little bit of a detour. We're still in the same, still in the same series of The Next Right Step. Um, but in light of green sheets and in light of the emphasis on um, serving, uh, I did want to want to take a couple of weeks and and kind of explore the the feeding of the five thousand and uh, all the different facets and aspects of that and how that can um, um, help us uh, understand what the next right step might be as it uh, as it relates to serving the Lord. And so we have one more of those, and then we'll return to Joshua on September fifth. And I can't wait when we get back to Joshua because uh, they're at they're they're at the uh, they're checking out Jericho, and it's, uh, it's the story of their interaction with Rahab. And uh, the title of that message is called Messy Grace, Messy Grace. So I can't, I can't wait, can't wait for that one. So that's coming. Invite your friends uh, and enemies and strangers. Um, but anything about this past Sunday, any questions, uh, thoughts, comments, um, things to unpack? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's that's from Frederick Beekner. 
uh, and anything that you can get from Frederick Buechner, and it's spelled very, very German, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, I think is how you spell Frederick Buechner. But yeah, the, the, the quote is from one of his sermons, and he said, God's call, uh, I'm not going to get this verbatim, but God's call resides at the intersection of the world's great need and our great joy. Um, God's call resides at the intersection of the world's great need and our great joy. And what he means by joy there is kind of joy in the most classical sense um, that could also be the word passion be used. And it's, 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 not a, it's not joy in the sense of, oh, yay, it's joy in the sense of intense, guttural passion that when, when, when something moves us so much that it's like a good hurt. And it's kind of the same, uh, the same idea of how Jesus was moved with compassion um, when, he, uh, when he saw all the people that had followed him uh, to the other side of the lake. Yeah. Anything else from Sunday? Nailed it down in one swoop, huh? <laughs> Formation. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, very, it's a very Wesleyan thing, too. Um, John Wesley talked a lot about um, <clears throat> that um, in, in some of the circles with our Christian cousins, maybe our Presbyterian cousins and our Baptist cousins in the Christian family, there's a lot of emphasis on justification by faith. You know, justification by faith. Absolutely. Um, John Wesley wrote that justification is the front porch, but sanctification is the house, okay? And sanctification is one of those big 50-cent words that makes you, you know, can impress your friends. Uh, but it's, it's the process of kind of being cleaned up. It's, you know, it's the process of being saved. Justification Whenever we come to the Lord, justification is uh, it's a judicial decree that says you are no longer guilty because our guilt has been placed on Jesus. That's the porch. We walk through the front door. We walk through the door into the living room, and the rest of our lives are spent in being sanctified, being cleaned up, having the, the fact that we are saved, having having our behavior and our attitude and our thoughts catch up with that, okay? So the rest of our lives are spent that way. We would also call it holiness, moving into holiness. So Wesley, would, Wesley said that um, that process of sanctification is where, where the Lord is forming us and conforming us into the image of, of, of his son, okay? And so spiritual formation are practices and um, disciplines and habits and um, things that we do intentionally to the way that I put it, practice being in the presence of God, where I, I will set aside such and such time each, each day or you know, have a habit or um, a devotional practice. And it could be uh, a certain way of reading scripture, uh, an exercise. Um, it, could be, uh, it could be journaling. It will usually need to involve prayer. But it's those, those things that we do where we deliberately say, Lord, I'm coming into your presence. We're always in the presence of God, but where we intentionally say, Lord, I, I want to really acknowledge your presence and I want to listen and I want to listen to your word. I want to let, I want to let the Bible read me. <laughs> I, want to, I want to pray, but I need to do a lot of listening in my prayer. Um, I want to confess my sins. And as I do that, the spirit, the spirit speaks. And as the spirit speaks, the spirit puts his finger on those areas of my life that are not in alignment with the salvation that I've been given, uh, that are out of, uh, that are out of alignment with the will, with the will of God. 
And <clears throat> when I make myself available and teachable and flexible, and it's like being pliable, like clay in the hands of the potter. And he puts me on the potter's wheel and forms me into, into something beautiful, into something useful. Uh, and so it's that process. And that process is, is, uh, consists of those experiences. And those experiences come about often. Um, <clears throat> we're prepared for those experiences, I should say. We're prepared for those experiences when, when we have those things in our life that are deliberate ways that we get positioned to be conformed. And form, formation is kind of the, the, the collection of, of those things. Um, maybe the simplest thing would, you know, would, would be what my youth pastor used to call a quiet time. But it's not just that. It's way beyond that. Um, uh, spiritual disciplines, what it's called, but some people don't like the word discipline. Okay, so, so um, spiritual practices. We are practicing Christians. You know, doctor is a practicing doctor. I hope he's well-practiced by the time he cuts on me, right? Um, practicing attorney. Um, we are practicing Christians. And part of that practice is uh, preparing us for what to do whenever life hits us. Because I, I was saying Sunday, a lot of times those opportunities don't come on script. And we can't time them out. So formation is kind of that big umbrella term for these ways of, of um, getting ourselves in position, um, making ourselves available, uh, if you will, tuning our, tuning our hearts and minds in to listening, listening to the Lord. Uh, and a couple of those, you might want to jot this down, but a couple of those, uh, there's a practice called Lectio Divina, and I love Lectio Divina. Uh, and I usually will use Lectio Divina uh, with Psalms. And Lectio Divina just simply means um, that or the practice of it is you read, a, you read a portion of Scripture and then you just sit silently with it. You read it again and you sit silently with it. And it's, it's actually, there's, there's, a, there's a word um, in, the, in the Hebrew text of several of the Psalms that... Um, in Hebrew, it, it, it's the same thing as a cow chewing on a cud, <laughs> but in a spiritual sense, it's to, um, you know, because this is kind of gross, but we're done with dinner. You know, cows, they, they, and then it comes back up and they chew on it and it goes, Bleh. Um, but the idea there is we, keep, we just keep chewing on it. We keep thinking on it, meditating on it. And Lectio Divina allows us to do that. And we kind of ask the question, so Lord, what are you saying to me? What is this saying? How is this reading me? And, and we sit with it. That's Lectio Divina. Um, uh, journaling is another big one. Um, just writing out uh, what's, go what's going on in my mind and my heart, what's going on in my spirit when I read this passage. Um, <clears throat> I don't always keep those. I get rid of them a lot of times because they're, sometimes I keep them just however, however I'm feeling led. What are some of your practices? I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to hear. What are some things you do? Oh, I know y'all. Come on now. Yeah. Okay, go right ahead. Uh-huh. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a job, well, because um, I had uh, I had left um, after after being in Baptist churches for a lot of years, uh, and I talked about this before, but 
after being in Baptist churches for a lot of years, uh, the, 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 the Baptist denomination went in some directions and, and everything that I, I really couldn't stay along with. Um, I've always been far more Wesleyan than Calvinist anyway. Um, and, and so uh, that was, there was, it was able to be some compatibility there for, for a while, but not uh, ultimately there were some things that just um, uh, led me in my conscience to need to step away from that. And um, so <clears throat> I actually, when I stepped away from that, I, I, stepped, um, uh, I, I stepped into chaplain ministry um, because I really just wanted to seek the Lord on what was next. I didn't want to jump right back into just some other church. I didn't want a rebound church. You know, I really wanted to, Serena and I take some time to think and pray and, and, and heal. Um, cause I've mentioned before, whenever, whenever I made the decision to leave the SBC, um, it was very, very hurtful, very hurtful. It got, it got very nasty. Um, and, uh, and that's unfortunate because it didn't need to be that way, but, but it did. And, uh, so we needed some time to heal and breathe. And, um, uh, I wondered if I was going to, wondered if I wanted to pastor again. Um, and then around, around March of uh, 2021, uh, the Lord really started dealing, dealing with Serena and, and, and me and, and saying, it's, um, I'm calling you back in, you know, I'm, uh, I'm putting you back in the game. And uh, I had no idea what that was going to look like. <clears throat> I knew it would not be in a Baptist church. Um, and so I just said, okay, well, Lord, I don't know what th that's going to look like. So I, I trust you. And um, so I, uh, I, went, I went to a website that lists, that had, a, had listings of different churches that were available. And it was like, no, 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 no. And I just saw Northside Church. And then I read, read about, uh, read the, the, the posting of what, uh, Northside was looking for. And I said, I think I know somebody that sounds like that. And then um, read about you know, previously United Methodist Church and disaffiliated. Uh, and I knew about that. I heard about that. Not, not necessarily Northside doing that, but I have a lot of friends um, who are in churches in United Methodist churches and uh, Episcopal churches and everything that kind of were in the process of, and then some recovering Baptists like me who are walking away from the Baptist church. Um, and so that really resonated and um, felt, uh, felt really compelled to send a resume and see what, okay, Lord, what, um, you know, anytime, anytime it's the first click of sending a resume, it's a long shot because, you know, there's going to be a bunch of other people doing the same thing. And so, just, okay, Lord, here, this, this sounds, this has me interested. And so it was, I've said before, it was, it was the, um, the commitment of Northside to remain faithful to the scriptures, um, uh, Northside's willingness to do the hard thing, not, the, not just the easy thing, but the hard thing, and um, your, your work in, in the community. I uh, went to the website, saw that you had a, a woman pastor on staff, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very, very firm and strong supporter of women pastors and ordaining women to the, to the ministry. That's what I'll talk about next week. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've personally been on the ordination council for 12 women who are now uh, reverends uh, who are, and, and chaired the ordination committee of, of two women who are pastors today. Um, so I don't just say I support it, I actually do it. I've, I've, I'm, I'm actually an ordainer. Sounds weird. But, um, and so I saw that, so I saw Daphne. So Daphne had a lot to do with it before she even knew it. Um, uh, I saw that you had, uh, you had an African-American man on staff and a woman pastor. I thought these people are weird and I love them. I love them because you could, you could look at, I could, you can spend the rest of the day looking at churches. You won't find that. You just won't, you just won't find that in, in a lot of churches. So the diversity, the variety, um, the commitment, the stand, the, uh, the community involvement, all of it together. I said, I, I think these could be my people. And, and here I am. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I could not pick this place. It's kind of how I felt. I couldn't, there's no way that I said, I, I've got to send a resume at least to, to this place and see what happens. Well, look what happened. That's so cool. So, yeah. Me too. I know. I'm like, yay. Cool. All right. All right. So any, um, all right. How about any other, any other questions about Sunday or just anything? All right. Here's where, here's where we are in the questions from the search committee. Dun, 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 dun. Um, and here are the questions I've already answered. Okay, why did you leave the Southern Baptist Church? I, I answered that. What are your thoughts on same-sex relationships and gender? Uh, I addressed that. Uh, your thoughts on abortion? Um, did I answer that? Nope, not yet. Okay. Um, and again, that's that's a that's a difficult question um, because it, it's a very it's a very personal question to a lot of people. Um, I am I am pro-life. And what I mean by that is I'm not just pro-birth, okay? A lot of, a lot of my pro-life colleagues are only pro-birth, meaning, okay, she got pregnant. We got to do everything we can to get that baby born. Okay, that, I, I like that. I, I, I agree with that, but it doesn't nearly go far enough. It's not complete enough. And so when I say I'm pro-life, I'm, I'm pro-life from the womb to the tomb. Um, and so that carries with it some other issues that, you know, we can talk about uh, at, at another time. But as far as what I mean by I'm not just pro-birth is, is that um, I, I, I believe in and support measures to, um, to make sure that uh, whenever women find themselves in, uh, in an unexpected pregnancy, that uh, they are not shamed, that they are not intimidated, uh, that they uh, are, are that they have access <clears throat> to all of the information, uh, medical care, um, uh, emotional support that they can possibly have. Um, I think we should make adoption a lot easier instead of instead of um, adoption being as difficult as it is right now. Um, my my friends who are pro-choice. My challenge to them is to really be pro-choice because I, I tell them you're not really pro-choice because if you were really pro-choice, you would genuinely share all of the information with women um, rather than only information that will help you make a quota. Um, I think it should be, I, I, I think we have to look at the fact that uh, Many abortion clinics are located in low-income, high-crime um, areas because I think that gets into a racial uh, component um, because it, it's, it's, it's easier to put an abortion clinic in a neighborhood than it is to put a true health clinic um, where, where, where women can be given uh, adequate preventative care and education on things. So when I say I'm pro-life, I'm for, um, I'm for many, many different things that will um, empower, educate, encourage uh, women um, in, uh, in, in their relationships, in their, in, if they're married in their marriages, um, most of the statistically, most of the women that get an abortion, um, they end their pregnancy not because they want to, but because they feel like they have to. Uh, they are, they have been, and, and uh, oftentimes it's the family or the uh, or the the baby daddy uh, making threats, or the family uh, of of the father making threats, um, or the woman the the woman not being um, given information. And, and resources um, where there's an alternative to ending the pregnancy. It's just easier um, from, from an agenda standpoint uh, often to do that. So uh, um, I support pregnancy centers who will, um, uh, that if, if whenever a woman finds, finds herself in an unexpected pregnancy, um, 
she should be able to have an ultrasound um, because statistically, uh, when a when a woman receives an ultrasound, the the the, the chances of her uh, choosing to continue her pregnancy go through the roof. When the um, father is exposed to an ultrasound, the uh, the 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 chances of that pregnancy being completed go even higher. So um, education, help, resources. Um, I'm not a proponent of standing outside an abortion clinic and holding a sign and, and um, yelling and you know some some Christian some Christians do that and I, I don't I don't mean to sound disrespectful, um, but I served on the uh, board of directors for the Mesilla Valley Pregnancy Resource Center, which was later changed, the name was changed to CareNet. Um, I was their treasurer, uh, on their board, and then later became their chaplain. And I specifically uh, did pastoral care for the men. Um, And I can tell you from talking to the talking to the women that would come who were post-abortive, meaning they had chosen to end their pregnancy, and we, we ministered to them and helped them with um, programs like Surrendering the Secret and uh, different, different things for, for women and their partners who had chosen to end their pregnancy and how to recover from that. Um, that the, the signs and the, the protests and the yelling doesn't help. It doesn't help. In fact, it really doesn't do anything good. So I know a lot of Christians are into that. Um, so just know if you if you ask if you ask me to participate or ask Northside to participate in something like that, my answer is going to be no because it does it. Uh, it's kind of easy to do that because it it keeps them at arm's length. Um, <clears throat> so uh, so I am I am genuinely pro life and uh, want to see um, want to see education increase, resources more readily available, adoption made easier, and much more information, realistic information being provided to, to women and their partners. Um, and ministry, uh, restorative ministry for, for women and their partners who have chosen to end their pregnancies, because that's an entire ministry field in and of itself. Any, any follow-up questions to that? All right. All right. Uh, what else did they ask me? Okay. Oh, this one's going to be fun. Um, how, will you, how will you approach the issues of election and predestination in a majority Wesleyan congregation? I just won't. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> coming out of a Baptist church, are you Reformed or are you, are you Calvinist? Um, I am not a Calvinist. I was at one time. I was, I was a five-point Calvinist at one time a proud, card-carrying five-point Calvinist at one time. And then I read John Calvin's own words. See, I was a Calvinist because the thing about, and if you don't know what Calvinism is, John Calvin was a theologian um, and was part of the Reformation movement. After Martin Luther uh, began the Protestant Reformation, John Calvin was a theologian He's kind of one of the big three. There was Luther, Calvin, uh, and, and Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli were kind of the big three there. And um, uh, Calvin wrote, I mean, by the age of 27, he had written this boat anchor tome of um, theology called the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Um, brilliant. Brilliant mind. Um, and... He, uh, he, he, he died, um, let me see, I wrote down here when he died, uh, let's see, that would be, yeah, so he died in uh, the kind of the early 1500s, um, 55 years after his death is when um, uh, a, a meeting called the Synod of Dort I don't know how they come up with some of these names. But anyway, the Synod of Dort, and it was uh, a lot of followers, you know, kind of the second, first and second generation of Calvin's followers 
who got together at the Synod of Dort and wanted to summarize his teachings, summarize his thoughts uh, into kind of, kind of a portable, um, systematized way of representing them. Um, I don't think they got it right. Uh, they, uh, they came up with what is pro- famously known as the TULIP. The TULIP stands for Total Depravity, Unconditional Election, Limited Atonement, Irresistible Grace, and Perseverance of the Saints. The problem is these, these, the, these, these students at the Synod of Dort um, were under intense scrutiny shortly after the Synod was over, even from Calvin's own countrymen in France, that they didn't get it right, that they went too far with some of the things that, that they put words in Calvin's mouth uh, in order to fit things into, um, into kind of how they had interpreted Calvin's teaching. So fast forward to kind of the, maybe the mid, early to mid 90s, when there was a whole movement called the Neo-Reformed Movement or the New Reformed Movement, and I got caught up in that. And it was uh, uh, kind of our nickname were the Young, Restless, and Reformed, um, was kind of because I was kind of part of a generation of of, peop- of young people getting into theology and in Bible college and seminary and everything. And I was part of the Reformed Club at uh, at the Bible college I went to. And on Wednesdays we all wore blue shirts. You know, it was it was just very it was very mature, and. Um, <laughs> You know, and I mean, we, we spent a lot of time congratulating ourselves on being the elect of God. Uh, and we were very proud to be elect, which means we had no clue what election really meant because that's how we were kind of treating it. So, you know, like I said, I was, um, I, I was reading everything I could on Calvinism. And then when I was a student at Fuller Seminary uh, working on my master's degree, um, I was I was uh, spouting off my Calvinist reform perspective, and um, a professor asked me point blank, "Cite that from Calvin's Institutes." Well, I've never read Calvin's Institutes, and what I found over the years is that most most of the people that I've run into that are very very strong Calvinists have never read the Institutes of the Christian Religion because it's huge and it's dense. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't easy to read. But um, I took up that challenge and I started reading Calvin and I found that um, I, I, I believe then and I would confidently, confidently say that John Calvin in his own words would not pass being a Calvinist today. John Calvin would not if, if Calvin, in his own words, stated to modern-day Calvinists, they wouldn't consider him to be a, a Calvinist. Uh, number one, he never talked about limited atonement in any of his writings. And what limited atonement is, Calvinists, Calvinists believe that um, while, while the crucifixion and death of Jesus is sufficient to save everyone in the world, it is only applicable to those who have been elect of God. So the atonement is limited to those whom God has chosen to save before the foundation of the world. So if I stand up and say that Jesus died for, for, for everyone, um, my old Calvinist self and my Calvinist friends would and still do take me to task and say, aha, you can't, you can't say that Jesus loves everybody because he loves the elect. And you can't say that he died for everyone no, no, no. He died for the elect, and uh, you can put limits on you can put limits on the atonement if you want to. But I'm not going to do that. The thing is, though, when you read Calvin, Calvin never, ever, ever talked about limited atonement. They put those words in his mouth. So I got a standing challenge to my Calvinist buddies: if they can find me the place in the Institute where Calvin talks about and articulates limited atonement, then I'll buy him a steak dinner. And I haven't bought him dinner yet uh, because he didn't do it. Um, in fact, all of the passages um, 
that Calvinists will point to to try to support limited atonement when John Calvin talked about those same passages in the Institutes, he specifically and clearly talked about how those apply to the human race with no distinction. So Calvin himself didn't teach limited atonement. Well, if he didn't teach limited atonement, what about election? You know, what about that? So um, anyway, uh, so no, I'm not a Calvinist. I am a Wesleyan. And um, uh, the way that I like to look at this um, is kind of to turn, you know, to, to get rid of the tulip. And so uh, um, when it comes to total depravity, total depravity is the belief in, in Calvinist circles that we, we, are, we are absolutely and utterly uh, depraved. The problem is very few of us are as bad as we could be. Okay, very few of us are as bad as we could be. Um, and they'll say, well, being depraved means you're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and a dead person can't do anything. If you're dead, there's absolutely nothing you can do, but Wesleyans believe in previent grace. Well, the, the, the thing is, whenever you look into the Scripture, in, um, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and this is the way you formerly walked. Can dead people walk? And the, this is the way you used to live. So see, the, 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 the thing is, you can't just take one word and build the entire thing around it. Um, Abraham, uh, Abraham considered his um, baby-making parts to be dead whenever the Lord said, you're going to have a son. He considered that stuff to be dead, both in him and his wife. And yet, he believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Okay? Um, and so rather than total depravity, um, I, I, I say that we are, we are corrupt. We're radically corrupt. We're broken. We're messed up. But we're not hopeless. And God initiates salvation by making a way for us to take a step toward him. And that's where previent grace comes in, where the grace of God, the kindness of God, leads us to repentance. And one of the, another reason why I, I have to reject total depravity is because we bear the image of God. And the Imago Dei is a, it's a royal decree. It's uh, whenever Genesis uses that language, it uses the language of a royal decree where, uh, where a king has made a proclamation that his offspring bear his image. And so the, the image of God is a royal decree of, of, of what we are. And the image of God has been corrupted in our fall, but the image of God has not been extinguished in our fall. And so we continue to be image bearers of God, corrupt and marred and cracked and messed up and broken and, and, uh, and goofy and stupid and foolish. And God provides those times of clarity and provides us the opportunity to, 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 to choose to make a responsible decision to follow him. Um, otherwise, we would be punished for a decision we never made. Okay, it, it, it's logically incoherent to me to, to say that you can't help but choose God because you can't choose God otherwise, but then you're going to be judged for not choosing God when you couldn't have chosen God anyway. It's, it's fatalism. It's, it's a form of fatalism um, that doesn't jive with the character of God to me. I don't, I don't see, but anyway, it's not, it's not love. In order for love to be love, it has to be freely given and freely received. Otherwise, it's something abusive and not love. Um, so total depravity, I, I reject that because of the image of God, but I do agree we are radically corrupt. Um, unconditional election, uh, that's where God is chosen from before the foundation of the world, those who would be saved, not based on any merit of their own. I, I, I get it, but... Uh, uh, again, I think that, that 
that's a misunderstanding of what election's about. Does God choose? Yes. But there's a purpose in that. Israel was elect. God chose Israel from all the nations of the earth. But there's a reason for it. And it's not for, it, it was never for Israel to congratulate themselves on being elect. And when you and I are chosen by God, it absolutely is not for us to say, ha, I am chosen, you know? Um, and if it gets really cold here, we don't call ourselves the frozen chosen, you know? That's not what we do. There's a purpose in it. The purpose of Israel being, being chosen out of all the nations of the world, according to the Bible, is so that they would be a light to the nations. There's a purpose in being chosen. And so several years ago, you may remember this story being in the news, there was a group of miners who became trapped in, in, in a mine shaft, and uh, they, were, they were trapped in there, and they chose from among themselves one from, one from their group to get out, to get help. He was elected. He was chosen, but there was a purpose for that choosing. The purpose of that choosing was for him to facilitate the rescue of the rest of the group. So the fact that the other people in the group were not chosen did not mean that they were condemned to die in the pit. It meant that one was chosen for the purpose of going and facilitating their rescue. So election, when you look at, when you, when you, when you read through and you see the purpose of it, if I'm chosen, I'm, I'm chosen with the purpose of being, being a, a blessing and being a light and being a witness. And if it's something else, then it lapses into, into, and this is actually what we did, trying to figure out who the elect are so that we can just witness to them. And what I've told people my whole life since then is who the elect are is none of your business. That's God's business. And, you know, we don't go around and look, oh, do you got an X behind your ear? Oh, well, you know, because that's why William Carey um, received such ridicule for wanting to do mission work. Because they said, oh, well, God's already chosen who's going to be saved. So why do you need, why, why are you going to go witness to people, the people who are elect are, are going are gonna to be saved? So you're wasting your time. And he said, no, that's, that's not how it works. Election is purposeful. Election is God's mechanism for communicating to his people who have been awakened to him that you've been awakened and the blessing of your being made alive is so that you can facilitate the making alive of other people. Therefore, go and make disciples. All right. So instead of unconditional election, I say we're picked for a purpose. Um, limited atonement, we already talked about that. The way that I look at the death of Jesus is that it, it's sufficient for all, and it's applied to anyone and everyone who will believe. Um, irresistible grace, I change that to overwhelming grace. Because if it's irresistible and I can't say no, I don't then how then if I can't if I can't say no, then we're left with a conundrum because there are people who say no. So then you have to say, okay, so does everyone eventually get in, even if they say no, and you have universalism? David Bentley Hart uh, wrote uh, his most recent book was uh, was basically took that track that as an answer to the other side, which I'll talk about in a moment, that, well, if, if grace is really irresistible and people resist and they die in that resistance, then there's got to be a way that that is overcome post-mortem and everybody will get in. That's one way of looking at it. Or there are some who are chosen to eternal life and there are some who are chosen to damnation. And those who are chosen will be called and they will respond and those who are not chosen will be left in their sin. I can't serve a God like that. I, I just can't. If, if, if every single human being on the face of the earth 
is going to be held responsible for something they didn't have a choice in, that's unjust, that's unfair, and it's logically incoherent. Um, but I do believe grace is overwhelming. I do believe grace is amazing. And I do believe that when uh, that you can come face to face uh, and just be absolutely swallowed up in a tidal wave of grace and feel good and still refuse to change. Um, for love to be love, it has to be freely given and it has to be freely received. So I say overwhelming grace. I don't understand how someone could really resist the grace of God, but how many of us know people who've come face to face with incredible moments of healing and clarity and still go back to the, uh, the pain of the familiar rather than the discomfort of healing and redemption? And then perseverance of the saints. Um, uh, I, I can't remember if it's George McDonald or G.K. Chesterton. So it's one of those guys. Uh, one of those guys who C.S. Lewis really liked. Um, he said, at the end of time, when we stand before God, we will either say, or it, we, we will stand before God having said, thy will be done, or God will say to us, thy will be done. You didn't want me, you didn't believe, you didn't, re you know, you, you refused, and okay, then you're, you don't want me in your life. Your will be done. Not going to force it. And I know a lot of my Baptist friends, it's, it's like once saved, always saved, and it's, it's like no matter how you act, if you, if you walk down an aisle one time or you, you know, did something or Maybe you were confirmed or, or whatever, but there's absolutely no fruit in your life. There's um, just complete, who cares? No, nothing has changed, no desire, no fruit. Um, you're still good with God. I don't see the scripture teaching that. Um, I, I, I see the entire book of James being that works are not what saves us, we are, not, we are not saved by works, but works are an inseparable symptom, if you will, or consequence um, of, of, of belief. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who interestingly enough was a Calvinist, but Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Um, he, he said, I, I uh, uh, what did he say? Uh, it was right there. It was there this morning. Um, Faith is but an empty show if it produces nothing in your life. He says, I would venture to say of any lazy person that they have little or no faith in God because faith always works. And what, what he's saying there is that kind of what Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. And so I kind of take the track of what C.S. Lewis said, that at every moment of our life, with every decision we make, we are either becoming a more heavenly creature or a more hellish one. And in the end, the sum total of those decisions, the sum total of those little acts of either rebellion or obedience, they will determine what we, what, what we eventually are. And that kind of goes back to that sanctification piece. Um, is, the, is the inside, is the outside, I'm sorry, and the decisions and the attitude, is that catching up with, is that growing um, and, and getting in sync with what, what, what God has done in conforming us to the image of God. So to me, it, it's not even a question of, well, can you lose your salvation? Uh, that, I, I, don't, I don't like the question framed that way. Um, I, I, I just say, look, where is your desire? Is your desire... I'm not saying, are you perfect? Lord, we're all in trouble. Um, where is your desire? Where is your want to? It's the way my granny used to put it. She said, whenever, when, when, whenever you come to the Lord, your want to changes. Or your want to is how she would say it. Your want to changes. And if your want to is only for what you want without any regard for your neighbor, for your well-being, 
for God's will, whatever, something's wrong. Something's not right, if you're on to, uh, isn't interested in the will and way of God at all. Because how can you be transformed if nothing is different? So it's kind of a, it's kind of a question, not, uh, well, can you lose it if you got it? Or it's, it's how, how, how is it, how are you manifesting? Um, how are you manifesting the grace of God? in your attitude, your beliefs, your actions, your head, hand, and heart. Um, and as they say, the, the proof will be in the pudding. So, um, so those are reasons I'm not a Calvinist. Um, I'm a Wesleyan. Even more than that, I'm, um, there's really no one theological system that can hold the, the greatness of God. Um, I've never met a Calvinist really that doesn't believe in personal responsibility and I've never met um, uh, I've never met a Wesleyan that doesn't pray for the will of God to be accomplished you know all of us as whoever's Wesleyan in here we pray for God to intervene in things sovereignly so we pray for we pray for God to sovereignly move people and uh, my Calvinist friends pray for people to be awakened and for them to understand that, that they bear responsibility. So I think all of us, to an extent, we like our camps, we like our tribes. It's a, it's a little bit of peer pressure. Any questions or follow up on that or anything that you think, hey, you totally got that messed up, Kevin? A lot of Baptists are Calvinists. It's a big deal in, in, in Baptist churches right now, unfortunately, because that's really not how that's historically not really where Baptists were um, in, in, in that. So uh, Baptists, Baptists were far more Wesleyan at the beginning. Um, and then kind of the, the Calvinism side of it kind of creeped in. Yes, sir. General question. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What are your intentions for this app? Um, well, it's to provide some some clarity because one of the questions, whoops, um, one of the questions that uh, is is out there right now that a lot of a lot of um, Northside is 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 wondering, and that with the new pastor coming and everything, it's okay. We're not part of the United Methodist Church anymore. So who are we? Um, there was a lot of, of, of consensus and, con and consistency uh, around the reasons for disaffiliating. And so there's solidarity on, on those you know, specific issues, but what, what do we, as, as Northside Church now, where are we headed? And what are, what are our values gonna be? And so um, part of it is to, hopefully in answering some of these questions that the search committee has because uh, I've because I've I've been asked and I don't know if the search committee's been asked this but you know I've been asked so are you going to turn us into a Baptist church? No, no, I'm not. Um, and 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 again, are you? I think it's good that this question came up because there's such a link between Baptists and Calvinists. Um, so are we going to are 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 we going to we are we going to remain Wesleyan? And so in answering that, I want to be able to say we're, we want to have a big table where Northside is a place where if you're a Calvinist, you are, you are welcome here. We love you, you know, but just understand, understand what our primary values are. And if, um, uh, you know, are we going to continue to, are we going to continue to have women pastors? Um, and, you know, I would say as long as I'm here, I, I would say a resounding yes. Um, but that's been a question. And so in, 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 in some of this, it's to answer those questions and to provide some clarity for some of those things that, that will remain.
um, a part of Northside's DNA and, and identity. Um, but then, uh, but then uh, also maybe nail down some, um, some clarity on um, um, kind of what are, what are we gonna, uh, what are we, where are we headed? What does Northside's future look like? And so it's gonna kind of be some vision casting after, uh, after these initial questions. Uh, vision casting, where are we headed? Why are we headed there? Um, and, and, and then eventually I wanna do, I wanna do a verse by verse study of Revelation. <laughs> no, I, I, I have one. I could, but um, no. Really, after that, it, it's just um, I'm happy to I'm happy to talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. So if it's let's go through Ephesians, we'll go through Ephesians. If it's um, uh, I, I I I don't know. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the latest research in gender dysphoria and how the church can minister to people who are born with one set of genitalia, but are, uh, but are experiencing life intellectually and mentally from a different gender, because that's, that is a real thing for a lot of people. And they're looking to the church and like, am, am I gonna be run out on a rail? And uh, I've had, when I was a youth minister, I had, I had some students, we had some college students in my previous church that that was their experience. And they wanted, they wanted to love and follow Jesus and, and live a life of, of, of sexual purity um, before God. Um, but if you, you, you ask them, who are you? Well, I was born this way. I experienced life this way. What a lot of churches are doing is just saying, well, you're a sinner, get out. How can we at Northside do better? Um, because, you know, in the book of Acts, <clears throat> the Ethiopian eunuch is someone that would not have been welcome um, in, most, uh, in most places of, of, of religious practice. And yet, that's kind of where you start seeing the gospel spread beyond the Jewish community to the Gentile community is with the Ethiopian eunuch. So, you know, there's definitely a precedent for us to um, uh, together figure out how we're going to navigate ministry and in, in, in the world that we live in with, with the people who actually come, come through the door. So I hope that helps. Oh yeah, and spread the word, Thunderbird. We're going to keep doing this. You know, we're going to keep we're going to keep doing this. I, I I think I said this on the podcast, Kevin. I can't remember. I've slept since I've I've slept since the last podcast. So, um, but I think I said on the last podcast that um, the the reason why the church in the United States is has has lost so much influence. Um, is because it, it, it hasn't been a place where people have been comfortable talking about sex and sexuality, singleness, um, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, um, racial injustice. Um, you know, because it immediately it immediately becomes politically divided, and a lot of that is because we've we've allowed political identity to take precedent over our spiritual identity, and so these things will be talked about along political lines before they'll be talked about um, according to the pages of Scripture. And the thing to remember is that any time Jesus, you you couldn't back Jesus into a corner. But every time Jesus was faced with a question of where do you come down politically, he didn't play. He didn't play. He would not come down on a side. He always elevated the conversation when it, when it came to politics. And I can, I can take us through a Bible study on that if we want. Uh, it's on my blog, Political Witness in the Way of Jesus. You can go to my blog and I've got 
like three entries. And it's great for insomnia too. Um, but, uh, you know, but, and anyway, I'm sorry. I, I, let, me, let me kill this rabbit real, real quick. I'll chase it and kill it. But um, to be able to have a forum like this to discuss these things, and I want us to discuss them rather than me just be a talking head. Um, we'll get, when we can do it in here, and then the world out there knows that we're cool talking about it in here, um, you, you'll, you'll see some amazing things happen. Because right now, the, the church is one of the last places that people will go to talk about this stuff because they think, oh man, I'm going to be judged. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to. I will hang out and talk with anybody. Um, when I was in New Mexico, um, uh, I, I, would, I would get together for coffee every Thursday morning. with uh, We had a Jewish rabbi. We had a Buddhist priest. Um, I almost said Judas priest. A Buddhist priest. <laughs> um, and, and, and the Muslim imam. And we would, we would get together and... It, just talk about what's good for our city, what's good for our city. And um, uh, there were a lot of people in my Baptist church that absolutely hated that I did that. But, um, you know, uh, but how, how else, you know, uh, did we agree? No, we did not agree. And, and we, would, we would argue, oh man, I mean, we were the joke, you know, a, a, a rabbi, a priest and a, and a, you know, walk into a coffee shop. And, uh, and we, were, we were the joke. Um, but, you know, I miss those guys. And so, yeah, um, I, I, wanna, I wanna do that because I want, I, I want, I wanna be a voice and I wanna represent um, what I hope can be a, 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 a better voice than, than what the Christian community's voice has kinda come to be known. If that makes sense. Hope that makes sense. So yeah, well, hey, nothing's off limits in here. Whatever y'all want to talk about. So email me. Say, well, I want to talk about this. All right, we'll give it a go. Uh, and I'll do my best. I'll do my best to go at it from scripture because uh, you, 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 oh man, there's just, there's just so much. All right. Um, 744. Yay. <laughs> Time flies when you're running your trap. Um, Okay, and and you guys in here, you'll get to know my idiosyncrasies and 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 um, um, little ticks and everything, so I won't freak you out as much on Sunday. You know, when your when your neighbor's asking, "Who is this guy?" You know, was that? I think that was what uh, was that? Is that what you were saying, Nancy? Is Nancy in here? Nancy Gay? Yeah, yeah. When I said, "Oh, I hope I remember how to preach," she's like, "Who is this guy?" And I'm like. <laughs> But I was really wondering that because I really hadn't preached in a year. But I felt like I told Nancy, I said, it was like riding a bike, but it's like riding a rusty bike. So I felt like finally at the 11 o'clock service this past Sunday, I, I found my rhythm again. I was like, OK, yeah, all right. The WD-40s and all the joints now, the rust is gone and the, the cobwebs are blown out. So watch out Sunday. <laughs> So, well, thank you all so much. Let's pray and then I'll hang around and really email me with uh, like, hey, I want to talk about this. I want to hear about this or I have a question about this and you, you won't offend me. Uh, even in here, if you disagree with me, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Um, I'll show you a picture sometime. Uh, there's my book, which is about that thick. Oh, you did? I'm so sorry. Oh, good. Good. Uh, so my, my book is like that, you know, it's also great for insomnia. And then there's my dissertation. And then there's the drafts and repeats and rewrites of my dissertation. All those times when, when I would turn parts in and they would say, this is terrible. This is, uh, what are you saying? You know, bleeding red ink. So I've totally gotten over the idea that when I put something out there, uh, if, if, if it's not agreed with or it's not clear or whatever, 
I call that Wednesday. You know, that's fine. You're not, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Um, I'm comfortable in my skin. I know who I am. And uh, so it's all good. All right, let's really pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. Thank you for not giving up on us, uh, even when we give up on ourselves sometimes. Um, help us to be open. Help us to be bold. Uh, and talk about what really needs to be talked talked about. You know what's going on in this city, and so you know how uh, this church and this body needs to speak into what's happening in our city. And so, Lord, give us the insight, the wisdom, take us to the scriptures, bring us face-to-face with the people, um, let the issues rise so that, Lord, we can meet those issues with grace and truth. And we'll trust you to be with us as we become salt and light in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much. See, I only, I, only, I only read one paragraph of everything I wrote down tonight. So come back next week. We'll talk about women in ministry.